Good morning. Breaking news. Wing and a prayer. President Biden flies to Rome for a meeting this morning with Pope Francis as his economic agenda hangs by a thread. Democrats still in disarray, forced to pull the plug on a vote. I want to see it improve. Behind closed doors, Biden acknowledging his presidential legacy hangs in the balance or lie with the very latest. Charged former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo facing a criminal complaint of a sex crime accused of groping a woman at the executive mansion during his time in office. This morning, what prosecutors are saying about the case and how Cuomo himself is responding. Breaking her silence overnight, the woman in charge of weapons on Alec Baldwin's movie speaks out for the very first time, saying it was not her fault. Just ahead, what she's revealing about the discovery of live ammunition on set and why she says the entire production was unsafe. Those stories plus round two, the new storm set to bring even more flooding and high winds to millions of people along the East Coast today. Al's forecast straight ahead. And are you ready? The costumes are prepped, the crowd's in place, and the fun is about to begin. Halloween's here. Come on, let's go already. As we get a jump start on Halloween with a big celebration on the plaza and our can't miss reveal today, Friday, October 29th, 2021. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Cutby. From Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to today, 7 a.m. on the West Coast. We're so glad you're with us, especially this is one of our favorite Fridays of the year. We are pumped up. We've got a quick change. We're going to put on our Halloween costumes a little later. We've got an extravaganza. We've got a whole bunch of people outside. We're all ready to celebrate. It's going it. to be epic. But before we get to the fun, we've got a lot to get to, including the holiday forecast. How is it looking for trick-or-treaters on the West Coast? Will a strong storm system packing heavy rain and high winds impact the big weekend here in the east? Well, Al is going to have our full forecast. And then breaking overnight, we're hearing for the first time from the the woman who oversaw firearms on the set of Rust, what she's saying hours after the sheriff leading the investigation, accused her of not being accurate. We are live in Santa Fe. But we will begin with President Biden kicking off his second overseas trip this morning with that historic and very personal meeting in audience at the Vatican with Pope Francis. But back in Washington, the president's trip to Capitol Hill just before leaving for Europe failed to unite Democrats and secure a deal on his massive economic agenda. NBC's chief White House correspondent Peter Alexander is in Rome traveling with the president this morning. Peter, good morning. Savannah, good morning to you from our beautiful perch overlooking St. Peter's Square here. President Biden this morning spending nearly an hour and a half privately with Pope Francis, the two leaders discussing climate change, COVID and human rights. It's been almost 60 years since the only other Roman Catholic American president, John F. Kennedy, was here at the Vatican for a visit with his church's leader. President Biden today giving the pope a ceremonial coin, among other gifts. The pope in return giving the president volumes of papal documents and a signed message for peace. The president today for this day putting on hold the lingering hesitation among some Democrats about voting on his agenda at home. President Biden this morning wrapping up a deeply meaningful visit with Pope Francis. Oh, thank you. The president appearing emotional, presenting the pope with a commander coin in memory of his son, Beau. But I know my son would want me to give this to you. The two men clasping hands as Mr. Biden commended the pope for his courage. You are the most significant warrior for peace I've ever met. After that personal visit, the president now turning to meetings with other world leaders without the political victory he'd been hoping for. 
While President Biden was in flight, the House postponed any vote on a bipartisan infrastructure bill until at least next week after progressives refused to support it amid a standoff over the larger $1.75 trillion social spending bill. Clearly, to my mind, it has some major gaps in it. But overnight, progressives expressed confidence they could pass both bills together in the next week. Our plan is to try to get this done very quickly. The president earlier privately telling Democrats, quote, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that the Democratic House and Senate majorities and my presidency will be determined by what happens in the next week. What is in that massive spending plan? Universal Pre-K, a one-year extension of the child tax credit that millions of parents now receive in the form of monthly checks. The largest ever investment in affordable housing. And the biggest item of them all, more than half a trillion dollars in clean energy and climate investments. When paired with the bipartisan infrastructure bill, we'll truly transform this nation. What's been knocked out of the plan? Tuition-free community college, a broad expansion of Medicare, and paid family and medical leave. With Republicans united against it, Democrats can't pass the plan without every Senate Democrat, including West Virginia's Joe Manchin, whose opposition has forced them to abandon key climate change provisions and paid leave for working parents, all of it frustrating his colleagues. What I don't like is this idea that one guy would stand in the way of doing it. President Biden is here in Rome for the G20 and a separate summit in Scotland that takes place next week and will focus on climate change. He had hoped to have specific U.S. achievements to point to before those gatherings, really to help fortify his call for action by world leaders. White House officials that we've spoken to have downplayed any concerns on that. They insist that those world leaders are sophisticated, that they understand that these are complex negotiations, but that the U.S. will get it done. Still, it would have been a big boost for President Biden. Right now, he's meeting with the Italian uh, prime minister later face to face with the French president Emmanuel Macron significant because that's the first time that President Biden and Macron will be together since a diplomatic dispute between the two countries over a botched submarine deal a full plate for the president on his first day here Savannah. Peter Alexander traveling with the president. Thank you, Peter. Another major story is unfolding right here in New York. Former Governor Andrew Cuomo now charged with a misdemeanor sex crime and ordered to appear in court just two months after leaving office in disgrace amid a barrage of allegations. NBC's Ann Thompson is following that story. Hey, Ann, good morning. Good morning, Hoda. Good morning, Savannah. You know, it's really stunning. When you think it was just a little more than a year ago that people were talking about Andrew Cuomo as a possible presidential candidate. Now he's charged with a crime that could put him behind bars. This morning, Andrew Cuomo's horrible year just got worse. With his attorney insisting Cuomo never assaulted anyone, today he faces a misdemeanor charge of forcible touching for an alleged incident last December at the governor's executive mansion. The complaint filed by the Albany County Sheriff says Cuomo did intentionally and for no legitimate purpose forcibly place his hand under the blouse shirt of the victim and onto her intimate body part. He touched her left breast, the complaint says, for the purposes of degrading and gratifying his sexual desires. The name of the accuser is redacted in the complaint, while the details are similar to the accusation made by Brittany Comiso. That's when he put his hand up my blouse and cupped my breast over my bra. The Albany Times Union reports Camiso filed a criminal complaint against Cuomo in August. When he stepped down, she said his resignation was not enough. He didn't take responsibility. Uh, he didn't really apologize. He almost still had the attitude as though he is the victim 
when he is not the victim, he is the victimizer. An investigation by the New York State Attorney General released this summer found 11 women credible in their claims Cuomo sexually harassed them, including Comiso. In resigning his office, the three-term Democrat insisted he never did anything wrong. In my mind, I've never crossed the line with anyone. But I didn't realize the extent to which the line has been redrawn. And in a statement overnight, Cuomo's attorney says this is not professional law enforcement, this is politics. But New York's attorney general says the actions now taken against the former governor further validate the findings in our report. All right, so Anne, so what's next for, for Cuomo? And you talked about charges potentially? Yeah, well, the first thing is the former governor is required to be in court on November 17th for his arraignment. And if he is convicted for forcible touching, he could get up to a year in prison. But first-time offenders can get just probation. Meanwhile, that report has four other district attorneys in the state investigating alleged incidents in their jurisdiction. So this is not over by any stretch of the imagination. Right, and thank you so much. Thank you, Anne. Also this morning, the showdown is intensifying over COVID vaccine mandates in cities all across the country. And things are really coming to a head here in New York. Police officers, firefighters, and other city workers must show proof of COVID vaccination by tonight or risk losing their jobs. NBC's Gabe Gutierrez is on the story for us. Gabe, good morning. Savannah, good morning. 160,000 workers employed by New York City have until 5 p.m. tonight to show proof they've had at least one shot. But as that deadline fast approaches, the largest fire department in the nation, the FDNY, is preparing for a possible shortage of first responders. Today in New York City, unvaccinated municipal workers have just hours to get their first COVID shot. Employees who don't have at least one shot by 5 p.m. tonight face unpaid leave starting Monday. Our members should have a choice about their health. Hundreds of firefighters and their supporters protesting Thursday outside Mayor Bill de Blasio's home. I'm not against vaccines. I'm against taking people's freedom. Right now, the FDNY says just 65% of its firefighters have received at least one shot. Union officials say up to one-fifth of fire companies could close, but the city says it will make do, though it's planning mandatory overtime and canceling vacations if necessary. We expected that a lot of the vaccinations would happen toward the end of the deadline, and it's going to make everyone safer ultimately. A new study shows one in four workers nationwide say their employer requires them to get the COVID vaccine. Only 5% of unvaccinated adults say they've left the job because of a vaccine mandate. But nationwide, the requirements remain a flashpoint. Overnight, Los Angeles County Sheriff Alex Villanueva calling L.A. County's employee vaccine mandate an imminent threat to public safety, saying the mandate is causing a mass exodus within the sheriff's department. And 21 Republican attorneys general have just signed this letter, challenging the Biden administration's vaccine requirement for federal contractors. Missouri's governor just barred state offices from punishing those who declined the shot. And in Chicago, first responders are asking a judge to block a vaccine mandate order. But the mayor there says the vast majority of city employees are complying. I don't expect us to see any significant uh, reduction in uh, the number of members that are ready, uh, willing, and able to work. 
Here in New York City, the largest police union sued the city earlier this week, asking a judge to temporarily halt the mandate. But the judge denied that request, saying the mandate could go into effect as scheduled. Savannah. Gabe Gutierrez in Manhattan for us. Thank you, Gabe. 712, a lot more to get to. Say good morning to Craig. Hey, Craig. Hey, Hoda. Good morning, Savannah. Good morning to you, and good morning to you as well. The Justice Department has agreed to settle lawsuits filed by families of the nine people who were killed in that 2015 mass shooting at a historically black church in South Carolina. They had sued after the FBI failed to block the sale of the gun that was used in the rampage. Here's our justice correspondent, NBC's Pete Williams. The settlement resolves lawsuits filed after the 2015 shooting at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. 21-year-old Dylan Roof was welcomed when he walked in during Bible study, but he opened fire, killing nine people, and later confessed, saying he acted in hopes of igniting a race war. The family sued after the FBI discovered that its background check system failed to spot a drug conviction in Roof's record, one that should have blocked his purchase of the gun he used. James Comey, the FBI director at the time, said, we're all sick this happened. On Thursday, lawyers for the 14 people who sued said the Justice Department agreed to settle. We cannot bring back those nine victims. We cannot erase the scars that those survivors have. But what we do here today as lawyers and these families is we say we stand on justice. The government will pay a total of $25 million to the five survivors and $63 million to the families of the nine people killed, $88 million total. The families say that's symbolically important since 88 is a white supremacist code, one that Dylan Roof wore on his shoes. That African Americans have not always seen equal justice in our courts. This settlement, however, is a beacon for all of us and a reminder that justice does exist. Even so, Jennifer Pinckney, whose husband Clemente was killed in the church where he was pastor, said it still leaves a void. You can all take the settlement. Bring my husband back to me. Her daughter said they will make sure their father's legacy never dies. Today, Pete Williams, NBC News, Washington. All right, let's switch gears now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say good morning to Al. And Al, everyone wants to know. Yes. What is the trick no or treat? What is it? No well, pressure. well, a good portion of the country going to look pretty nice. But here in the Northeast, first, we have to get through some severe weather to talk about. A lot of wet weather stretching from Kansas City, Chicago, St. Louis, Cleveland, Bristol, Raleigh, Washington, D.C. And this is all going to be pushing to the north and east. In fact, along the mid-Atlantic into the Northeast, 18 million people under coastal flood warnings, coastal flood advisories, up to three Three feet of coastal flooding possible from Norfolk all the way to Atlantic City today. And we've also got wind advisories and high wind warnings for 21 million people from the Appalachians all the way to parts of New England today. This system will be pushing up, lifting into the northeast, gusty winds, heavy rain, coastal flooding, a possibility we move into tomorrow. This new storm system develops off the coast. That's going to intensify rain for our friends in New England. That soaking rain will cause some flooding most likely, pushing through some of the rainfall amounts anywhere from one to three inches but locally could and that is your latest weather coming up in the next mm. half hour big solar storm may cause a beautiful aurora for a lot of folks for halloween aurora? no blue just before oh okay. all right still take all right. thank you al coming up a new development overnight in the alec baldwin movie set shooting yes the woman in charge of the film's guns is now breaking her silence what she's saying about the live ammunition that was used safety conditions on set and her emotional message to the victim's family also a new twist in the alec murdoch saga this morning 
our exclusive interview with the family of his longtime housekeeper speaking out for the very first time since her death after a fall inside Murdoch's home and his arrest on those insurance fraud charges. But first, this is today on NBC. It's 7.30 Friday morning, October 29th. We're treating it like it's the 31st, though, guys, because for us, Halloween has arrived. It's our big party on the plaza. We wait all year for this. We're so happy to see all our friends came out. They decked out, man. Oh, yeah. They did it. There's some really good it. costumes out there. Yeah. There's some really creepy costumes. <laughs> yeah, they got well. it all. We're going we're to have a costume celebration, and uh, there's some a really good prize yeah. for a couple <laughs> of that folks out there. Yeah, Huge so we'll have prize. fun. Mm -hmm. 7.30 headlines now. Facebook has a new name. CEO Mark Zuckerberg announcing the change yesterday in a recorded video message. I am proud to announce that starting today, our company is now Meta. Meta. The change will not affect the name of the company's signature app, which will remain Facebook, but it will mean a new identity for the corporate umbrella that also owns Instagram and WhatsApp. The rebranding comes at a time of crisis for Facebook after leaked documents portrayed the company as putting profits over people. Some frightening moments at the airport in Los Angeles overnight. Reports of a gunman caused about 300 people inside the terminal to flee onto the tarmac at LAX. Flights were grounded for almost an hour. Uh, two people were detained by police, but police say no shots were fired and no weapon was ever recovered. So let's turn now to this ongoing investigation into that fatal shooting on the set of Alec Baldwin's latest movie. Overnight, the armor, that's the woman in charge of firearms for the film, spoke out for the first time to share her side of the story. NBC's Miguel Almaguerres in Santa Fe with more. Hey, Miguel, good morning. Hoda, good morning. Hannah Gutierrez is Reed's job is to ensure gun safety here on the movie set behind me. Authorities say she failed to do that. Now she's at the center of the investigation. This morning, Hannah Gutierrez Reed, the armorer in charge of weapons on the set of the Alec Baldwin movie Rust, breaking her silence. Her attorneys releasing a statement overnight, saying she's been falsely portrayed and slandered in the media, adding she fought for training days to maintain weapons and proper time to prepare for gunfire, but ultimately was overruled by production and her department. The whole production set became unsafe due to various factors, including lack of safety meetings. With the set shut down and production halted on the movie, Gutierrez Reed's statement comes one week after Alec Baldwin shot and killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins with a gun he was told was safe to use. Santa Fe County Sheriff Adan Mendoza telling Savannah Thursday there's a discrepancy between what the film's 24-year-old armorer told detectives and the facts on the ground. According to the court documents, the armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, told your investigators, quote, no live ammo is ever kept on set. Given your investigation so far, is that an accurate and truthful statement? No, obviously it isn't. Uh, that was a live round that struck, miss, struck and killed Miss Hutchins, so that is not uh, uh, a, an accurate statement as far as I'm concerned. Gutierrez Reed's attorney went on to say safety is Hannah's number one priority on set. Hannah has no idea where the live rounds came from. Hannah and the prop master gained control over the guns and she never witnessed anyone shoot live rounds with these guns and nor would she permit that. 
The Santa Fe County prosecutor says while it's too early to speculate on criminal charges, the film's producers, which include Alec Baldwin, could be held responsible. There is precedent in New Mexico for going after companies criminally when there were huge lapses in safety standards. So yes, it could happen. This morning, a possible criminal probe underway as the 24-year-old in charge of weapons breaks her silence. Miguel, obviously this is prompting a, a big conversation about safety standards in the movie industry, but in particular, lower budget movies like this one. Yeah, that's right, Savannah. There's not only been talk of change on movie sets, but there's actually been some action on some film and TV sets already. Directors say they will no longer use real guns, instead only using plastic or simulated guns. And the governor here in New Mexico is also pushing for change, saying they no longer want to see real guns on sets anywhere while filming in New Mexico. Savannah. Miguel Almaguer with the latest on this case. Thank you. Coming up next, Craig, you've got an exclusive interview tied to one of the mysteries surrounding that once uh, prominent South Carolina attorney, yeah. Alan Murdoch. Oh, we do this morning. In fact, we, we sat down with his, the family of his housekeeper. The housekeeper died after a fall right outside the Murdoch's home. It was their first interview since her death. What they are saying about the case and what they say Alec Murdoch owes them. That's right after this. Back now, 739 with In-Depth Today and the latest in the headline-grabbing case of Alec Murdoch. And Craig, you spoke exclusively with the family at the center of one case that actually led to his recent arrest. Yeah, we did, Savannah. The, you know, the Murdoch saga has many chapters. First, he was the bereaved husband after his wife and son were shot at their home. Then, he admitted to that bizarre attempt to stage his own suicide. Now... Well, now he finds himself accused of a very different crime, tied to the death of a woman who served his family for years. And this week, we sat down with her family. She worked hard at what she did, and she loved what she did. She took honor in the job that she did. Gloria Satterfield was the Murdoch family's longtime housekeeper. Her sister, Ginger, told me the family's we're close. We thought of them as an extended family also because Gloria did. In February 2018, Gloria stopped by the Murdoch home and there was an accident. What were you told about what had happened? Just that she had fell, that she was tripped by the dogs, and that they thought she had a head injury because they saw blood. And that was about it until we got to the hospital. Gloria languished in ICU for 21 days. Ginger will always remember the last one. I just said, Gloria, I'll be back tomorrow. And I love you. And she told me, I love you too. That's the last word I heard her say. At her funeral two days later, Gloria's son, Tony, says, Alec Murdoch pulled him aside and said he would make sure Tony and his brother got an insurance settlement for the accident. Did you believe him? Yeah, of course. Well, why not? He said, I want to make sure the boys are taken care of because he loved Gloria that much. But three years went by and nothing seemed to be happening. No money came their way. And I says, you know, Something's fishy about this thing. And I said, I just don't think these boys are going to get what they deserve once, you know, 
do to them. Then came the shocking news of the murders in the Murdoch family. Buried in the slew of news articles was a mention of the housekeeper's death and the half a million dollar settlement that had gone to her children. That was news to the family. How much money did the family get after Gloria died? Zero. Not a dime. Not a dime. They hired lawyers to investigate and discovered something startling. The actual insurance settlement for Gloria Satterfield's death totaled $4.3 million. Where did all the money go? We're still tracing where the money actually landed, but it is impossible to burn that kind of money in Hampton, South Carolina. On October 14th, Alec Murdoch was arrested, charged with obtaining property by false pretenses in connection with that $4 million settlement. He has not yet entered a plea. But the crime that landed this family in national headlines, the murder of Murdoch's wife and son, remains unsolved. So that's just one part of, of, of the Murdoch saga. I mean, you've got five bodies mm -hmm. that can be attached, albeit in some cases loosely, can be attached mm -hmm. to either Alec Murdoch directly or a member of his family over the last six years. Uh -huh. And Gloria Satterfield's, uh, unfortunately, Gloria Satterfield is just one of those those. And those, those two boys, so they're, they, there's, their mother, when she passed, they were left alone. Left alone and and... Again, Alec Murdoch pulls one of them aside and says on the day of the funeral, hey, we've been family for so long, I'm going to take care of you. Ugh. Well, they never got a dime. And then wow. it's revealed a few weeks ago that not only was there insurance money, there was about $4.3 million worth of insurance money. Oh, my wow. word. So, wow. anyway, we'll have more uh, tonight. It's a story with, with so many twists. We're going to bring you all of them, the latest on the investigation and more of our exclusive interviews tonight during an all-new Dateline starting at 9 Eastern, 8 Central. Mm -hmm. We're working really hard mm -hmm. on that, and we'll be watching tonight. <laughs> Let's get another check of the weather from Mr. Roman. You bet, guys. And we've got some solar weather to talk about. Kind of cool. This is, I mean, we've got a huge, what's called a solar flare, a coronal mass ejection that is headed towards Earth. This started yesterday. To give you an idea of the scale of this thing, it's 100,000 miles wide. There's the Earth. John, take a look. Just come on. Look, look at that. That's the Earth, and that's the solar flare. How cool is that? Well, the interesting thing about this, it's not going to be rough enough to cause problems with communication systems or anything like that, but a strong geomagnetic storm will arrive sometime around dawn tomorrow and last till around midnight. The aurora could be seen, theoretically, from Seattle, Minneapolis, Rochester to Boston. However, sky conditions, kind of cloudy here in the Northeast from Detroit to Boston. Some clouds in Minneapolis, but in between, you could see it. Chicago, you could see this thing. And Seattle as well. So we're going to be watching that, and that could be a really cool uh, exhibit of the uh, aurora borealis later tonight. I should say tomorrow on into tomorrow night. Now, it's going to be cooler from St. Louis all the way down to Mobile, Tallahassee, Shreveport, anywhere from 10 to 15 degrees below average. Tomorrow, that cool air down to Charleston, Augusta, about 70 degree, 7 degrees below average, 64 in Montgomery. Knoxville, you'll only be 59. And look at what we're going to be seeing for, as we get into next week. Temperatures take a bit of a tumble. Low 40s by Tuesday in Green Bay. Detroit, you'll be 50 by Tuesday, 53 in Cincinnati. Omaha, Nebraska, you'll be into the mid-40s. That's, That's your latest weather. This is kind of
kind of cool because the second uh, geomagnetic storm we've seen in the last couple of weeks, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we yeah. showed you the aurora borealis. So there's a lot of solar I love when you, I just, I love when you speak in different languages. I just want to <laughs> confirm that it's a coronal mass ejection. That's right, just a big geomagnetic storm. Okay. Every time love you it. say aurora borealis, I take a shot. Wow. <laughs> Not throwing away my shot. No, no. Still ahead, kids, uh, before our costume reveal, we'll, we'll focus on Halloween safety for you and your family, from candy to COVID, what all parents need to know ahead of the big night of trick-or-treating. But first, these messages. We're back on this Friday morning. We are counting down the minutes to our big Halloween celebration. Guys, this is one of our very favorite days of the year, and soon we're going to be getting into our costumes. Plus, we're going to be joining everybody out on the plaza for the big reveal. Uh -huh. Trust us, you do not want to miss this. But first, your local news and some weather. 